The last few weeks we've been talking about the most important events that have ever happened in the history of mankind, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? You guys didn't sound too excited about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can we not be excited about that? That's what we've been talking about. And we're going to move into uh, the next few weeks into the book of Acts and see that there are some new beginnings uh, that we see in the, in the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit uh, descending, coming down. We see Jesus ascending. We see the church, the beginning of the church. We see the mission field is wide open. It's not just to the Jews anymore, but it's wide open everywhere. A lot that we do here at the... At, Northside Christian Church and then in the Christian churches, churches of Christ in general, come from the book of Acts. Uh, we've tried to, they call it the restoration movement, trying to restore back to the way that the early church was, the way that they did church and the way that they um, perceived to, to uh, look at uh, lots of aspects of what we do here at Northside. And uh, our design, and then it's not of man, but it's of, of scripture, of, of God. Uh, we're non-denominational, so we don't have a de- denominational head that tells us what we need to do, say, preach, whatever. We're independent, meaning we're run by uh, the elders of Northside Christian Church. And uh, so we look to Scripture to, to clearly see the direction that Jesus wants us to go and how we go about things. Jesus left us with, with one of the greatest words. Is, is he was, uh, after he resurrected, and some of his last words was in the Great Commission. That's Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. It says there, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We find Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, says in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, after he, talking about Jesus, had given commands. And so he goes on to write and talking about this great commission and the different commands that Jesus gave us. And it kind of leads out and and it's the key to uh, the book of Acts. And it should be the key to our lives, is living out and fulfilling uh, the Great Commission. Let's first talk about the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Before the Spirit could descend, Jesus had to ascend up into heaven. It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from the heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Here we find it's been 40 days uh, since Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's been seen by uh, 13 plus times. Over 500 people saw him resurrected. The disciples still thinking that Jesus was going to come to restore, as it says in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6 there of Acts, to restore the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus always has something better than we could ever imagine. He's telling them to be patient because the power of the Holy Spirit was coming to be within them. Jesus is calling his disciples and us today to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What's that look like for us here today? Well, Jerusalem is is our neighborhood. It's our town, Warnsburg, or our area. How are we being a witness in in, in our area? How are we being a witness to our neighbor, 
physically maybe across the road or down the road from us. What about Judea? So Jerusalem's more local. Judea is still a little bit more local, but it's our surrounding communities. How are we witnessing when we go to Sedalia, go to Lee's Summit, when we go down south to Leeton or north to Higginsville? How are we being a witness to Jesus Christ? And then he asks them to go a term global. It's a little bit local, but it also can be global. He tells them to go to Samaria. And to tell these people that you need to go to Samaria, even go and tell and share Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. At this time, the Jewish and the Samar- Jews and the Samaritans did not even want to come in contact. If the dust from a Samaritan, as I've talked about before, touched a Jew, they were unclean to go worship. They hated one another. But Jesus is saying, there's going to be a day where you're going, you're going to go to Samaria. Maybe it's some of the outcasts that you can think of. But he also says it's going to be to the end of the earth. It's going to be opened up, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Amen? Aren't you glad the gospel came to us? The sad truth is, and we'll go through the book Real Life Discipleship here. We'd love for everybody here to go through that class. It's a 12-week course on discipleship. But it says in that book that a lot of Christians never share their faith to one single person in their lifetime. Not one single person in their lifetime. I'm going to ask you this morning to start today praying for one. Pray to God, who's the one that you want me to share my life with, share my testimony, that you want me to start discipling? Who is that one? And then you have to be open, be ready, and be willing to answer the call. After Jesus said these words, it said he ascended up into heaven. I think I would have been like the, those there that day, right? Mouth open. Now what do we do? He has guided us for three years. What do we do now? And it says these men in white robes in, in uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. He's given them a promise. Just as he has went up into heaven on a cloud, he's going to come down for a second coming. Either we die first and go with him, or there's going to be a day where he comes again, and we can be with him. Then we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, the Holy Spirit descended. It said, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and rain pounding on, no. And it filled the entire house where they were setting, and dividing Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one of was hearing them speak in their own language. Here we find the disciples and the others that were there celebrating Pentecost which is a celebration 50 days after the Passover celebration. It's been 10 days since Jesus ascended up into heaven. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And boy, did it. Not in a way they probably thought of. Not in a way that I probably would have ever thought of. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important to see here, though, when they were filled, that they were able to hear each other. They may have spoken another language, but they could still hear each other in their languages. Some were amazed, but yet others mocked these men. 
thinking they were just drunk. Doesn't that sound just like Jesus' life? He would perform a miracle. Some were amazed, but others would mock him. But the question comes up in Acts 2.37. What must we do? It says there, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The first part of that said when they heard this. When they heard Peter preach this message to them. He preached the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection to them. He talked about Joel and David saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He spoke about, like I said, the death, burial, and resurrection. But both that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And it caused a reaction in them when they heard the message of the good news. Maybe you can think of the time in your life where you heard the message of the good news. And it struck you. You knew that something needed to change. And this is what, the way it was with them. The Bible says they were cut to the heart, or maybe your version says they were uh, pricked or pierced to the heart by the gospel message. This is a sudden grief that they felt, which caused them to ask the question, what shall we do? The listeners asked this question with a fervent desire for an answer. They wanted to know, man, you gave us this message. What do we need to do to avoid the wrath of God, to have our sins forgiven? J.W. McGarvey puts it this way. He says, this is the first time under the reign of Christ that this momentous question was propounded. And the first time, of course, under the new covenant that received an answer. So the new covenant is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood. He was a once and for all sacrifice. And since then was the new covenant started. So whatever may have been the proper answer under any previous dispensation, any other time period throughout Scripture, or on any previous day in world history, the answer given by Peter on this day of Pentecost, the day in which the reign of Christ on earth was announced, is the true and infallible answer for all such inquirers in all subsequent time. It was, a great, it was uh, an answer for them then, an answer for us today. So let's move on to his answer. What do we, how, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? It says in Acts 2, 38 through 41, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for you who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to encourage or exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. For those who received this word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, the first sermon preached, 3,000 souls came to know the Lord. Not just 3,000 people, 3,000 souls came to know the Lord. First thing he said there was you need to repent. And this is the, the reaction we desire or have when we experience this godly sorrow for the sins that we have committed against God. The first thing that we should do when we are convicted of our sin is to make a radical, complete change in our life. This is turning a 180. Maybe we were facing a life of sin and God's calling us to turn a 180 to live a life for him. And then he goes on to, to repent and be baptized. The second is, this is something we have to submit to and be baptized, all who are believers. This means to be immersed or dipped. Baptizo is the Greek there. As we see in scripture that this was immediately after someone confessed uh, Jesus as their Lord, they were baptized. 
We see in Acts 2, as we just talked about, Pentecost, and uh, the, for, for the forgiveness of sins, they were baptized. And, and uh, the, in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, many believed and were baptized. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch believed, confessed, and was baptized. And after he baptized, he rejoiced. Saul, in Acts 9, as we'll talk about later on, was baptized, which washed away his sins. Cornelius, in Acts 10, believed, was baptized for the forgiveness of his, forgiveness of his sins. In Acts 16, the jailer believed and was baptized. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia was baptized. Who were they baptized in? Not the name of mere man, but in the name of Jesus Christ. No other name but Jesus. We find this in the Great Commission I read earlier. And also here that we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that here before or seen someone baptized. The Father being God and the Son being Jesus. And why do we do this? It's for, as Peter says here, for the forgiveness of sins. For here's a tough part for some to believe, some to look at. Some say that you only have to have faith alone. That baptism isn't necessary. That all you have to do is believe. We find in James chapter 2, 19, it tells us that even the demons believe. But I hate to see that, I don't see the demons earning salvation because of their belief. Peter says here, repent and be baptized for, the key word there is for the forgiveness of sins. It's a part of the salvation process. We have to have faith and plug that faith in him as Hebrews eleven six says. It's repenting as Acts 13, or Luke 13, 3 says. It's confessing Christ, Romans 10, 10. Being baptized, we saw here in Acts 2, 38 and Galatians 3, 27 and many other verses. All a part of the salvation process, working together, hand in hand. So he said, repent, be baptized. So we can see baptized, and we can see a, a little chart being done here of, for the forgiveness of sins and also to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit dwelling within us. Help guide, guard, and direct us in our lives. He doesn't, God doesn't dwell in a temple anymore as he did in the Old Testament. They'd have to go into the Holy of Holies is where God was. God says now, with the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. We are the church. Not this building, not Northside Christian Church, the physical building, 500 North Ridgeview Drive. We as individuals are the church. And we need to get that as individuals, that we are the church. Because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us to help us in our lives. For me personally, the book of Acts means a lot. Uh, I had a life of, I knew and I believed in, in Christ all, all growing up. There's a time period where I went to, off to college that wasn't so good. And as I was striving to turn my life back around, and I decided to go to Bible college on a whim two weeks before my junior year should have started. And as I went in there, I was sitting through Acts class with Gareth Reese. He has a great commentary in the book of Acts if you ever want to go get it. But as these light bulbs is going off, I grew up charismatic in an early age and, and then just kind of faltered for a few years. We didn't, couldn't find a church home as we moved back and forth from places. So I would get to the point and, and I've never seen yet where the scripture says, just say this prayer and you will be saved. It's not in there. I've looked. What we need to base our life on, base salvation on is what scripture says, not what man says. There's times that I would look at uh, just believing and 
Boy, I felt empty just believing. There's times even desperation when I knew I, I just was out on a Friday or Saturday night. Did things that was bad and I get home and flip the TV on. So I start watching a televangelist. He says, just put your hand on the screen. Man, I did that. I was empty. None of that worked. I was sitting through Acts class and just starting to see how the church was laid out. How salvation is laid out through all of the gospels, through all of scripture, the New Testament. Man, it was so freeing to me to see that, to be opened up. And that leads us into why we need, if we give our life to the Lord, we need a community. The power of community we see in Acts chapter 2. These are some of the things I use for our small group ministry here. As a, I have an acronym here for out of Acts, because I look at the book of Acts and I see community. I see what it is to be a small group, what it means to be the church. So the acronym is, as you can see, authentic community through small groups. Authentic here is to be real. This generation is tired of being fake, right? My generation is tired of it. The older generation and the older, older than that, we don't desire fake. We desire real, authentic people. That are going to speak the truth in our lives. They're going to be willing to step up to the plate and say, buddy, I see you faltering. I see you going the wrong way. I'm willing to be there for you to help you through this. Being genuine with one another. Communion here means a unified body of individuals. And then through here is the avenue for authentic community. And it's through small groups. Small groups we see in the Bible, Jesus had 12. And then sometimes he'd have his inner three. That he would work even more intimate with. So a good number here we look at for our small group ministry is 10 to 12 in a small group or, or maybe less. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, he is there. Our five pillars of our small group ministry here is not, not in any particular order. Number one there, community. We see this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our community is a place that we can find belonging. We can find times of fellowship. We can see a need and meet a need if it's within our group or if it's outside the group in the community. Maybe that's a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. We can do that. Let's go on to prayer. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. In tribulation. What I like at the end there is be constant in prayer. All day, every day. Pray with your spouse. Pray with a friend. Pray with your small group. Pray with your family. It's the lifeline that we have to God through our mediator, Jesus Christ. Then we have accountability. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It used to be one of the most known verses in Scripture was what? John three sixteen, right? That's kind of went by the wayside because all everybody wants to quote or misquote, I should say, is don't judge me. Right, we don't ever have the power to judge anybody to heaven or hell. That's not our job to do. But it is our job to hold each other accountable as Christians. We see someone stumbling, 
that we're there for them. We're there to pick them up and help them out. And we do this out of grace and out of love and out of concern, true concern for them. And then there's study. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says, Don't be doers of the word, but be hearers only, receiving, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Once again, out of the Real Life Discipleship book, that another plug for it, we'd love for you guys to uh, get in. Jim Putnam talks about there, the head, heart, and hands. A lot of times we have a lot of knowledge, and it's good to have. It's good to memorize Scripture. It's good to know Scripture. But if we don't let it penetrate our heart and our hands, it could be for naught. What we hear from Scripture, what we read, what we memorize, soak that in. Let it marinate in your heart and let it bleed out into your hands of serving other people. Doing what God wants us to do. Not just serving, but sharing Christ with them. Let's look at service. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ gave the greatest example how we need to humbly get down on our knees and serve other people. He got a water basin and water and a towel and washed the disciples' feet. And here's some of the words he said in John 13. He says, If I then, your Lord and and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It was neat a couple weeks ago or Easter weekend when we had the serve the bird. My back had went out before that, so I wasn't able to serve with our small group. But it was neat to be able to go around and take pictures of those people serving. And we'll have pictures of that or a slide sometime soon for that. Just being the hands and feet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Going out and serving, not asking for anything in return. No money, no, uh, you don't even have to say thanks. Just going out and being the gospel to the community of Warrensburg. Now let's look at the power in conversion in Acts chapter 9. First in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we see here Saul the persecutor. I'm not going to read that, but we see that he was persecuting the church and, and, and killing Christians, putting Christians in, in prison because they were part of what, they, what he called the way. But then we find in, in the Paul, or Saul's encounter, I may call him Paul sometime, he started out as Saul and became Paul later in Scripture. Saul's encounter with Christ, Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. Now, as he went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. We started seeing the restoration process started on this guy. A persecutor of the church, a killer of Christians. Imprisoning people for their faith. Yet God had something special for his life. 
Saul encountered this day, what he last thing he probably ever thought he would have encountered that day was Jesus Christ. And he came into contact with Jesus, and Jesus shared with him he wanted and desired a relationship with him. Maybe you came here today, and you think there's no way that Jesus Christ would want a relationship with me. I tell you, you're wrong. Jesus Christ is pursuing you. Jesus Christ is pursuing me. He pursues us and wants us and desires us to want him. The next thing we see in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 and following, is the calling of Ananias to do the unthinkable. And I'll just kind of talk through this. Ananias was just going about his business. And God called him to take care of Saul. In his mind, I'm taking care of Saul. This is the guy that persecutes your church. You want me to help him? And Jesus says this to him in in, uh, Acts 9.15. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had a mission. Jesus had a mission for Saul. Ananias probably thought that day, man, I drew the short straw. You guys ever do that for chores in your home? My mom, we had the old brooms, and she would pull off some, and and whoever drew the short straw had to do the hardest job. So he probably thought, I drew the short straw here. Jesus was like, yes, Ananias, it's time for you to minister to Saul. Yes, Ananias, this is your chosen time to do what I'm asking you to do now. I want you to ask yourself this morning, who is your Saul? Who is Jesus calling you to share with in the discipleship process are you answering the call ananias was reluctant i'm sure he was he was looking at caller id and didn't want to answer it but he ended up picking up the call because he knew that's what christ wanted him to do now let's look at the power of life on mission it goes on in acts chapter 9 is from persecutor to missionary we see saul here he was persecuting the church but now he is ready to preach the gospel. And in those verses, it talks about him immediately. Saul didn't wait around. He immediately wanted to preach Jesus Christ. We have to remember when we become a Christian, we are immediately a missionary for Jesus. Yeah, we have work to be done, but we are a missionary for him. It says in the scriptures, we are part of the royal priesthood. And we are asked to carry on the torch for Christ. It also talks about there that he proclaimed Jesus. He didn't proclaim himself, but Jesus Christ. It says those were there were amazed at him, at Saul's transformation. It says also it talks about Saul increased there in Acts 9. John 3.30 reminds us from, out of John the Baptist's mouth. He says he, talking about Jesus, must increase but I must decrease. It's all the more about him and less and less about us. And Saul understood that. Saul also saw himself in a new light. Every second Saturday we do a men's breakfast here. We call it the Iron Men Men's Breakfast. And I usually have someone share their testimony. And I've been on asking Sam Cox for quite a while and it summed it up. He summed it up for me and for all of us there why he was reluctant at times. He said, I can be prideful. And what my life has done. And the things I've done in my life. But he said these words. But he said he always wanted to make sure that it was Christ and not himself. He said Jesus said 
to let your light shine, don't shine your own light. Jesus said to let your light shine, don't shine your own light. So he just wanted to make sure that we knew that it was only through the grace of God that he was able to share his testimony. And he did a wonderful job. It goes on in Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, that some can't see past our past life. We see here people wanting to plot to kill Saul. Because they still didn't believe that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. As they were plotting to kill him, some of them couldn't see past his past life. They could see Saul right in front of him. Maybe there's a change in him, but they could still only see the past Saul. They couldn't get past that in their mind. They couldn't see the evidence of what Christ had done in his life and the future that Christ could have for him. How many of you have ever watched the movie Patch Adams? He got his name by coming into the room. This guy's a genius. And he's working all these numbers. And his coffee cup's there. It's a, a paper one. And it just kept slowly dripping. So he reaches over and sees some tape. And he kind of wipes it off and tapes it real quick. And the guy, the guy thought he was a genius. He went, went into this guy to just share with his problems. He was in a mental institution. Brought, put himself in there. As he was sharing his problems, the, the guy looks up at him and says, How many fingers do you see? Patch Adams says, Four. He says, no, how many fingers do you see? Four. And the guy tells him, you have to see past your problem. You have to see past that. And if, you, if you're following me, if you look past your fingers and you let your eyes kind of cross, then four kind of appears. What he was sharing with Patch that day and what Jesus Christ is sharing with us and with Paul's life here is sometimes it's hard to look past our past. And as these people struggled to look they couldn't see the future of Saul's life. They could only be stuck in the problem of maybe their own life. Maybe we're stuck in the problem of our own life. We need to see past that, what God has in store for us. Last thing I want to talk about is everybody needs a Barnabas in our faith. It says in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31, And when they had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, Saul again, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was the disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And it goes on to talk more there. Once again, Saul here was finding pushback from other believers, from other followers. But, but Barnabas stepped up to the plate. He stepped up and, and said, I'm taking Saul with me. And I'm going to show you what Christ has done in him. What did this do for Paul? Scripture says that he preached boldly. And he went on to preach boldly. And Saul, as we know, later became Paul. that wrote most of the New Testament. Boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. I want you to think about who it is that has stepped up to the plate for you in your life. And your faith journey. There's probably been different individuals that have stepped up at different stages of your life. That have helped you propel you to the next step. And working and drawing closer to the Lord. I challenge you to go and, and find them. And thank them. And share with them what they meant to you. How they were a Barnabas. A son of encouragement to you. We see here also the church started seeing Saul in a new light. The church was being built up and started to experience a peace. And started to multiply. In closing this morning, I want to talk about something I know all you guys had this on your radio as you came in, a little Christian hip-hop, right? 
No, probably not. One of the, fa- one of the most famous probably right now, and I think one of the greatest Christian hip-hop artists right now is Lecrae. Anybody listen to him? If not, go look him up. Go look him up on YouTube. This guy is willing to be put out there for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's had songs at the number one of the billboard charts, meeting all other music styles because of his faith. He's, willing, he's not willing to compromise that either. He's been on uh, the late night shows. He's been on Good Morning America proclaiming his faith. One of his songs that I really like is Tell the World. And in this rap, he says, his old life has passed away and his new life has come. And he is brand new. Aren't you glad to be brand new in Jesus Christ? How in the world can we keep it to ourselves? And he goes on to say in this rap, I'm going to tell the whole world and let the whole world know I'm brand new like a billboard. Uh, We have lots and lots and lots of business card Christians. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Hand it off. Not willing to be a billboard for Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch, when talking, him and Philip were on the road. Philip asked him what he was reading. The eunuch said, how can I know unless someone guides me? How can someone know if you aren't willing to be a billboard to those around you and proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ? How many people, how many people could know more at your workplace, know more at your school about who Jesus is by the way that you act, the way that you live your life, and the way that you react to situations in life? Are you willing to be a billboard for Christ? Are you willing to be a billboard for Christ? We need to be willing to ask ourselves that question and be willing to stand up and step out and do what God is calling us to do in our lives. Maybe he's calling right now. But we have to be willing and ready to do what it is that he wants us to do and who he wants us to share it with. Let's stand. If you have, This is our opportunity to say, I want to give my life to Christ where you can do that now. Or you're saying, maybe you're here and you want to become a part of Northside. You can come and join us as well. Let's sing.